Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guest by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlet and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome. This is Marnie. Excited to have you with us this afternoon for another edition of Marnie's Friends. And it's always a good time when we get together. And so grateful that you're here with us today along with our special guest, Andy Robbins. And Andy is a longtime friend of mine online. I have not yet met Andy face-to-face, but I will someday. And uh, his uh, favorite memory is our participation in the Godly Wealth Expo a few years back, godlywealth.com, one of my favorite projects ever. Loved what Andy had to share. And looking forward to sharing him with you guys today. He's going to be talking to us about his new book, How to Be Good at Life, some golden nuggets from that exciting project. The book title is How to Be Good at Life. During the next hour, you're going to want to grab some kind of a notepad because he's going to be explaining and sharing with us, and you're going to discover exactly how to instantly change a downcast attitude into a happy and confident one, the key to thriving instead of just surviving, the ways to grow your finances according to the biblical model, how to get along with almost anyone, a vital missing key in moving up in life, the thing that always profits you in the end, how to make people instantly like you, how to get promoted like Daniel, how to direct your passion, and the secret to success that is so often overlooked. Andrew G. Robbins is a pastor, businessman, author, and speaker. His passion is to help people find their purpose in life and fulfill their God-given potential. His website is www.andrewrobbinsministries.org. Welcome to you, Andy. Hey, thanks a lot, Marnie. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Well, you know what? I, I learned so much from you um, back at Godly Wells. Uh, I, I, you know, that, that was such an amazing uh, event, and it still gets listens all the time. And you, ha- you came in, and you were talking about the promises that God made to us in the Bible. And it was so good. I still remember that. I, I've loved your work since then, and you guys just really got to check Check him out over at andrewrobbinsministries.org. But wait, do that after the show, because right now I want you to focus your attention on what he's going to share here. Andy, um, you actually have a way that we can go from downcast to happy or confident very quickly. In fact, you say instantly. And I know for me, sometimes if I'm highly agitated or I'm really upset or I'm really down, it seems pretty hard to believe that we could make an instant change. Yeah, well, I discovered this uh, kind of by accident several years ago, and I actually shared this uh, story in the book. And this was many years ago, and I don't even remember what I was so upset about, so downcast and depressed. I was literally depressed, uh, just unhappy about where my life was, where it was going, uh, certain situations in my life. And and, um, I remember when I was driving through the city of Louisville on business, I was at a stoplight and I was just kind of contemplating everything, just kind of staring off into nothing, I guess. As I was just uh, continuing to nurse this bad attitude that I had. And all of a sudden my attention was arrested by this person walking uh, on the crosswalk in front of me. I was there at the stoplight and this person was crossing the street in front of me. And this person caught my attention because he was very different than all the other people that were hurrying by at the pace of a busy life because this person was tapping the ground in front of him with a walking stick and had dark Mm -hmm. sunglasses on. And it dawned on me that he was blind and had no one to help him find his way around except what he knew of the terrain and his walking stick to help him feel around. And then almost as if an invisible hand took me by the chin – and redirected my attention from him over to the right of me. Uh, It's sort of like how I describe in the book. It's sort of like how a a parent, when you're driving down the road, uh, you want to get the attention of your child 
and, and uh, direct their attention to something really special that's passing by out the window before they miss it. So you grab their, their face real quick and you redirect their, their, their uh, focus toward that really special thing. And that's almost like what God did to me because over toward the right of this man was a school for the blind. And it uh, instantly dawned on me how fortunate I really was. And seriously, Marnie, I know that for a lot of people, changing a bad attitude into a good one isn't always an instantaneous thing. But when you focus on the right things, it really can be. Because if you focus on the right things, you instantly become aware of all the good that God has blessed you with in your life. And that's what happened to me that day because I realized that, you know, with all the things that I thought were so bad in my life at that point, I had the gift of vision, Mm -hmm. which is worth a billion dollars. (laughs) Right? It instantly lifted my countenance. And what I learned from that is that if you focus on the right things, if you don't make what's wrong in your life your focus, but you focus on the things that are right in your life, it really will lift you out of a state of depression because all of us have things that are wrong in our lives that we could focus on if we really wanted to. But just as true, all of us have things that are right in our lives that we can choose to focus on. And choice is the, the active word there because, you know, the human nature, because of our fallen sinful nature, the default position is to focus on what's wrong and what's bad. You have to choose to focus on what's right. That's a mental choice that you make. It's not easy, but you you can do it. And when you do it and you live your life that way, it is amazing what it does for your attitude and your countenance. You, I like to say it this way, and I'm probably not the first one that said it. I probably heard this from somebody like Zig Ziglar or somebody. But mm-hmm. gratitude is the attitude that will change your altitude. Mm-hmm. So let me say that again. Gratitude is the attitude that will change your altitude. Your altitude in life will go up if you focus on the gratitude part. Absolutely. I have this um, exercise I do with coaching clients. And what you do is you take your two hands out in front of you and you put your fingertips together and then, you know, not the praying hands, you open them up. Okay. And now imagine that between your fingers and hands, there's, a, there's an open newspaper right there, just this huge newspaper. And because that's right in front of your face now, that's all you can see, right? But when you take your hands together and you make a praying hands out of that newspaper, the newspaper's still there, but now you can see everything behind the newspaper. And I think that's what kind of happens with us as we get, I loved how you said that you were nursing your attitude, that you were kind of, you know, it was all you could see. That was all you had to nurse because it was all you could see. And one thing changed your perspective and it was gratitude for having your eyesight for that amazing opportunity. So is it kind of the same thing then as you're going through struggles in your marriage and in your life, you know, things that are going wrong, is it the same answer, how you thrive instead of survive? Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up because I think that is a really good perspective where marriage is concerned as well because, you know, all of us, you know, have spouses that aggravate us or disappoint us uh, or even anger us from time to time. And if we just focus on the things that our spouses do that disappoint us or aggravate us, it makes life pretty unbearable because those things will pile up over time. But if you focus on what's right in your spouse, what's good in your spouse, that will change your marriage as well. And uh, so, you know, there was a study done of uh, individuals uh, who they divided up into two groups. The researchers divided them up into two groups, one group being people that felt like that they were just lucky people and good things always happened to them. And the other group was people who had kind of a downcast kind of attitude. They felt like they were unlucky and bad things always happened to them. Um, And they followed them around for I don't know how many months or even years it was, and indeed, the attitude and the outlook of the individual seemed to be a predictor of what happened to them in life because the people that felt like they were just unlucky in life, unlucky things continued to happen to them, whereas the people that felt like they were lucky in life, good things seemed to happen to them. And it all seemed to be predicated upon their attitude, what they were focusing on. So you can focus on what's right in your marriage, what's right in your own you know, personal life, at your job, this works anywhere, uh, at your church, uh, if you focus on what's right, man, it really just 
brightens up the outlook uh, on, on life, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your spouse, your boss, your pastor, whatever the case may be. It's what you choose to focus on will predicate what direction your life goes, and that's the truth. Yeah, it's like the saying you hear a lot now. If you can, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Uh, you know, you know. Back to back to godlywealth.com. That expo, Dr. Nick Castellano. I mean, that that he was giving the scientific proof behind um, behind how what you are thinking actually changes the environment around you. It actually changes things in the unseen world, and it's so important that we make wise choices with that. So before we move on, was there any other thing that you wanted to talk about in the key to thriving instead of just surviving? Yeah, well, there's a couple of principles there that, I mean, I could go several different directions with that. <laughs> right. The key to okay. thriving, I mean, there's, there's a lot, you know, that could be included under that umbrella. But the, there's a couple things that I talk about in my book that I think is really, really key here. And uh, that is the, um, the principle of serving. Uh, there's actually two principles. Um, I won't talk about the second one at length, but serving I want to talk about. The, the other one that I won't talk about in length, I'll just mention it, is, you know, refraining from judging so much. I mean, we're all very yeah. – we tend to be very critical of other people, and if people aren't exactly like us or think exactly like us or do things exactly like us, we tend to, to judge them and be very critical. And I think that can limit our potential, too. Um, but the other principle I do want to elaborate on just a little bit here, and that's the principle of serving, because we live in a very self-serving type of culture and society, and everything's all about us. The arrows all point in. And I saw a sign one time. It was a yard sign, and uh, it just the what this yard sign said was so on point, was so profound that I never forgot it. And it said this: No one is so empty as the person who is full of self and that hit me like a ton of bricks that was it's so true no one is so empty as a person who is full of self and if you want a recipe of how to be unhappy just focus on yourself all the time but if you could turn that around i know it's almost counterintuitive but this is the way that god has made the universe it's it's almost a paradox well it is a paradox if you will serve if you will make life about other people amazingly, you are more fulfilled um, as a result of that. It's sowing and reaping. You know, an example that I like to talk about uh, from time to time is Mother Teresa. I mean, her whole life was about Mm -hmm. other people, but I don't think that you could have found too many other people who were uh, more fulfilled and happy as she was, even though she didn't have much. But because she Mm -hmm. sowed her life into people, um, you know, the downcast, uh, the the orphans, et cetera, the, the poor, um, you know, her life was full as a result of emptying herself on behalf of other people. And isn't that what Jesus taught us to do? Absolutely. And it's so true. I remember one time I had been sick. Uh, I had been sick for a long time in and out of the hospital and just really struggling. And I was starting to get better, but I wasn't better yet. And one day a friend who had been so supportive to me through this whole long journey, she said to me, she said, you know, she said, you're getting better, and it's time that you start thinking about other people and not just yourself. And I remember that stinging, really stinging. But at the same time, I saw the truth of it, that while I had been, you know, physically and emotionally every, in every way unable to care for myself, I really hadn't been thinking of other people because I couldn't. But now is the time <laughs> to come back out of my little, my little selfish place there where I was being cared for and start caring for others. There are seasons for everything, but this, this is such a truth that when we are willing to serve and to give and to look, on the, you know, look for the good and look on the bright side, that it's amazing how that changes everything. This is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Dr. Andrew Robbins of andrewrobbinsministries.org. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about two ways to grow your finances according to the biblical model, how to get along with almost anyone, and a vital missing key in moving up in life. We'll be right back. Next speaker at womenspeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring nearly 1,000 Christian women speakers from every state, denomination, and fee range, some near you. It's all available to you 24 hours a day, so you can start your most enjoyable speaker search anytime you have time. 
Search by location, name, topic, or fee range. Connect directly with the speakers you like using their social media links or the online connection box. It's really that easy. Womenspeakers.com has been the number one online connection place since 2002. Speaker profiles include a bio, professional headshot photo, a list of topics with descriptions, some references from people who've heard them speak, and so much more. It's all fast, fun, and free to search anytime you have time, day or night. Check it out right now at womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie. So happy to have you with us this afternoon along with our wonderful guest, Andy Robbins. Andy, let's go ahead and talk next about the two ways to grow your finances according to the biblical model. Why don't you just take that away? Yeah, well, let me begin by saying this about money. Uh, two primary points as we kick this little section off, and that's that uh, there's, there's a, a, a paradigm out there, a religious paradigm that's not biblical, that suggests that money is the root of all evil, and that's kind of how that scripture has been quoted incorrectly. Well, that's not what that scripture says. It's the, the scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, greed. Greed is the root of all evil. So if you're a greedy person, God's not obligated to bless you. Um, but he's not against people having money. And as a matter of fact, he's not against people having a lot of money as long as the money doesn't have them. So that's the first attitude. Uh, but the second thing that I want to say about money is that money is a test. How a person handles money and their attitude toward money is a test. It's a test of people's character. It's a test of their stewardship. How you handle money says a lot about your character and a lot about your stewardship. It says a lot about where you are spiritually because, you know, Jesus, uh, actually the Bible itself talks more about money than it does almost any other topic except for salvation itself. So it's obviously integral to our spiritual lives and to our character. So with that said, there's a, a couple of principles that I talk about in the new book, How to Be Good at Life. Now, of course, I wrote a, a whole book uh, some time ago that you and I did a show on called The Pillars of Prosperity, and that's yeah. an entire book on biblical principles, obviously. I, I only had a certain amount of space in the new book to talk about biblical principles, so I just narrowed it down to two really, really basic and very important ones. The first one is a principle of stewardship. And it's simply saving. You know, the Bible talks about, and especially in the book of Proverbs, uh, that you need to know the condition of your flocks is how it puts it. So you need to know, you know, the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. And people don't pay attention to this. It's really amazing to me because I don't feel like that I'm a, you know, a super savvy person when it comes to, you know, financial principles. But, you know, there are certain basics that people don't even pay attention to, like how much money is coming in versus how much money is going out. It seriously is truly amazing to me uh, that people don't pay more attention to this. And, um, but saving is a principle of the Bible. So saving a tenth of your income is a very, very important biblical principle. It's not being miserly. It's not being stingy. It's a biblical principle that you, you know, save up. Uh, and uh, just as important, though, is setting aside another 10% for giving, for benevolence, uh, for tithing. Okay, so the Bible talks about the principle of tithing. And I know that maybe some of your listeners are like some of the people that I've met, and they, they say that tithing has passed away under the law. Well, okay, I wrote a whole book on that too. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Tithing in the New Testament Age, and I go over all those objections, and I, I stack them up against the Scriptures to see what the Scriptures have to say ab about, uh, about tithing. And the thing about tithing is it's not just under the law because, you know, tithing – predated the law by at least a couple thousand years. And I go over all this in my, my book, uh, um, Tithing in the New Testament Age. So it predated the Mosaic Law by uh, about 2,500 years. And so because it was not a Mosaic or Levitical law, it was a moral code, just like thou shalt not murder, um, then it, it, we have to view that as a moral law, not a Levitical law or something that was done under the, the law of Moses or Mosaic law. So hmm. giving a tenth is a very, very important principle of growing your finances. And it's amazing to me that you know some Christians, in fact, I think 
all the Christians, honestly, that I've been exposed to anyway. Maybe your experience is different. Maybe the experience of some of your listeners is different. I don't know. But in most of the cases, if not all the cases, of Christians that have told me, well, tithing has passed away under the law. We don't need to do that anymore. And yet they struggle in their finances every time. But the people who set aside a tenth of their income because they just love God so much, it's a pleasure for them to do it. You know, it's like the book of Second uh, Corinthians talks about God loves a cheerful giver, and they cheerfully tie. They cheerfully give to God's kingdom. They cheerfully give to their church. They're cheerful givers. Those people are always blessed. They always have more than enough. I'm not going to say that they're always millionaires or, always, you know, or even six-figure incomes, but they always have enough. They're, they always do well. Um, so I would challenge anyone who says that um, tithing passed away under the law, well, that's all well and good, but how are you doing in your finances? If you're not doing well, maybe you ought to think about doing something different. You know, you know I believe it was Einstein who said that one definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Um, so those are the two primary biblical principles that I discuss in this new book, How to Be Good at Life, is saving a tenth, which is a principle of stewardship, and giving a tenth, which is a principle of not only stewardship, but the condition of your heart. Are you a generous person or are you stingy? Um, do you love to give to God and his kingdom and his people, or do you withhold? Um, and the scriptures are full of exhortations and promises about what God will do for the generous person who gives liberally. Uh, he will bless people like that, and my life is a testimony of that very truth right there. Yeah, it's so amazing, too. I like, I like how it's the upside down, um, the upside down, because the, the topic was how to grow your finances, and the answer is give it away. <laughs> So right. I like I like how that guy's God's always doing that to us. He's like, oh, okay, I've got your attention now. <laughs> right. Well, so not only is it a test of character, Marnie, but it's also a test of faith, isn't it? Because do it we is. trust God or don't we? Is God's yeah. word true or isn't it? We've got to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, um, I, I've either got to believe this or I've got to reject it, one or the other. And and doing what God said when it doesn't look like in the natural that we should be doing that or we don't feel like doing it, well, that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That's the test of faith. And mm-hmm. so when we can take God at his word and act upon it, okay, well, there, there's the active word. When we, we, we can act upon what God says in his word, that's the true test of whether we really believe it or not. We can say anything, but whether we do it or not, that's the true test of our faith. Mm, so great. And, and um, I, I like to always remind people, too, that, you know, Jesus wasn't like, he wasn't like wealthy and earthly wealth. Um, and it's not, I was talking to somebody the other day about this topic about how God just doesn't have any problem, like loading up a Solomon or a Job, or taking it all away from a Job, or from somebody else. It's not about money. With, from God's perspective, it's not about the money. And yet, at the end of the day, there are principles that have to be uh, adhered to, uh, just like it's not about how tall I am, <laughs> you know, but it just is that I have to now take into consideration how tall I am every day or it's not going to work. So I think that it's just important to recognize that it's not really about the money. God isn't about every person in the world having a million dollars or a hundred thousand or 10,000 or 1000. That's not where God's brain is, but he uses money all the time. And he entrusts his stewards with money all the time. Uh, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, well, um, it, you're right. It's not about the money because God said that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right. I mean, so you know, all the resources <laughs> of the world are available to him. Uh, but, you know, in terms of our attitude toward money, I think that's the, the most important thing. Right. Uh, and then are we going to trust God? with the money that we do have is the second thing. And so, you know, how we, how we use that money, the saving part, and then the giving part mm-hmm. is the true test of what we really believe and whether or not we really trust him. So, you know, he can, he can get resources to us. I mean, that's not a problem with God. Right. But are, right. we, are we ready for it is, is, the, is the true thing. You know, um, when, uh, when my little guy drew, he, well, he's not so little now, he's 11 now, but when he was just a couple of years old, you know, he loved to ride with me on the lawnmower, and he would sit between my legs, and he would, like, steer, right, you know, with me, you know, mm-hmm. helping him. Um, <clears throat> as he got a little bit older, um, he, he would slap my hand away or push it away, and because uh, even before he could articulate, 
you know, what he wanted, he would push my hand away because he, he wanted to steer. He wanted to be the yep. one to steer. But see, if, uh, if I wasn't there making course corrections and I just let him go, well, we'd end up in a ditch or against a tree or into the fence or something. Um, I couldn't trust him with that level of responsibility because he wasn't ready for it yet. I wanted to give him um, the re- responsibility of driving the tractor and someday throwing him the keys of the car and letting him, you know, go off and, you know, having a you know day out or whatever. Uh, but, you know, right now at 11, I can't throw him the keys of the car yet. He's not ready for it. His skill level isn't there. His, you know, level of responsibility isn't there, et cetera. Well, God treats us the same way. He's as good of a father as me or anybody else is, and he's not going to lavish a six-figure or seven-figure income on somebody who can't even manage $10,000 a year yet. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so if yeah. they're not... If they're not managing and being generous with what they have right now, God's under no obligation, and nor would he even be a good father to lavish a whole bunch more on somebody who can't even handle what they have right now because they would destroy themselves with it and probably other people in, in the process. There would be collateral damage as well. So God, God is actually being merciful when he withholds certain things from certain people because of that very scenario, not wanting people to destroy themselves with it, just like I don't want my 11-year-old son to destroy himself and other people by throwing him to the keys to, keys to the car and saying, go have fun. You know what I'm saying? So right. it, God's the very same way. Yeah, absolutely. And we just have a couple minutes before break, and I know we could talk about this subject forever, and you guys got to check out Andy's book but <laughs> for more. But um, I want to move on to the one about how to get along with almost anyone because – First of all, I'd like to be able to get along with everyone, and that's simply not going to be possible because some people, it says in the Bible that it, just like people were against Christ, some people will be against you. Uh, so there is that. But how do we get along with just about everybody? Well, it's a pretty easy principle, actually, and that mm-hmm. is simply find common ground. You know, there's a saying that goes like this. It speaks so truthfully and profoundly to this point, and it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when they know that you care about them, all of a sudden your accomplishments and what, what have you mean more to them. But if your focus is only on yourself and that's what your whole conversation is about, and that's what most people do in conversation, by the way, uh, me, 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 my, 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 you know, I, 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 uh, my stuff, this is what I did, this is what my kids are doing, etc. And, but if we can turn that around and focus on the other person or at least try to find some common ground with the other person rather than taking the acute angle um, and try to be an agreeable person, uh, you'll get along with almost anybody. You know, I remember one time I was reading about Benjamin Franklin, and uh, early in his life he was a very smart, very intelligent young person, but very arrogant as well. And he would always take the acute angle in, in conversations and want to correct people on things, and, and he, would, he would come off as very offensive. And one time one of his good friends pulled him aside, just like your friend pulled you aside one time, and gave him a sharp rebuke. And he said, Ben, you are impossible. Your opinions have a slap in them for everyone who disagrees with you, and people find that they enjoy themselves more when you are not around. Hmm. Ouch. Uh, so uh, he learned a lesson from that, and he became historic. You know, he was just a historic figure in American history now because he was such a, an accomplished diplomat. And diplomacy was something he was very skilled at, and that rebuke by his friend started him on the path of getting along with almost anyone because he became a very diplomatic person. So just find common ground and let people know that you care about them and and that you're interested in them. And when you show interest in other people, they show interest in you. Yeah, that is so true. And uh, we had uh, Greg and Julie Gorman were on this show around Valentine's Day, and and they, they work with couples. And this was their exact advice for you and your marriage if you're having trouble instead of focusing on what you're having trouble with. Find areas of common ground. Find where you can agree. Where is it that we agree? And start building on that. And you know what? As the focus goes off of the problems and onto where you agree, life moves on. You can make things work. It all is in God's plan and so beautiful. This is Marnie Swedberg. We're talking today with Andy Robbins. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about a vital missing key in moving up in life, as well as the thing that always profits you in the end. We'll be right back. 
leaders across America rely on womensevents.info to find the major Christian women's events coming to their area. Womensevents.info is the only online directory of its kind featuring all the upcoming major Christian women's events. You are invited to search for events coming near you or to add your own major Christian women's events. Everything's easy and accessible over at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie. You're joining us for Golden Nuggets, How to Be Good at Life with our guest, Andy Robbins. Andy, next we're going to talk about a vital missing key in moving up in life. And um, I can think of I can think of several things that would make a difference for people here. So what is the one thing that you wanted to really focus in on? Yeah, well, like you, I can think of several things as well. In fact, my book is full of little nuggets that will help you to move up in life. You know, I talk about loyalty. I talk about, you know, seeking wisdom and that being a focus and and accepting advice and instruction. All those are very important things. But the thing that I think maybe I should focus on for this conversation is something that not a lot of people think about. But the Bible very clearly gives us wonderful promises about doing well in life if we follow this principle. And it's probably not what a lot of your listeners are anticipating that I'm going to say. Um, But it's this, honor your father and mother. And I know that that's not biblical rocket science, right? It's such a basic-sounding principle. What? Honor your father and mother? Yeah, Uh, it has attached to it one of the best promises in Scripture that you'll ever find. And uh, it it goes like this, honor your father and mother that all may go well with you and that you may live a long life upon the earth. And I can hear the wheels turning, you know, because, look, I come from a very dysfunctional family myself, and uh, I had plenty of opportunities to dishonor my parents. Uh, But, uh, you know, I just chose a path early in life um, just by the grace of God, it was, uh, and I have to attribute it to that because, uh, you know, my family was in disarray, and all of my si- uh, my siblings were choosing, you know, their positions and their different paths, and you know that's that's fine for them. I, for some reason, just by the grace of God, I chose to honor my parents, even when it looked like in the natural that that's the last thing that I should be doing, um, but. Um, you know, it's made a difference in my life. Emotionally, it's made a difference in my life. I believe financially. Um, you know, as I look around at a lot of the people that I know, uh, not only in, in my extended family, but also, you know, friends, associates, et cetera, and as I get to know people and I kind of know a little bit about their family dynamic and, you know, how they're, they're doing overall in life, you can attribute that one principle to whether they're doing really well or not doing so well. And, you know, again, I can hear the wheels turning of some people that will say, well, my parents were drug addicts or my parents abused me or et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, I relate to some of that. Um, You know, like I said, I had a pretty dysfunctional upbringing myself. But, look, the Bible doesn't give us an escape clause on this. It just says honor your father and mother, period. It doesn't say honor your father and mother if they were nice to you or and if they always made the right choices for you. Because if nothing else, they brought you into this world. And uh, we have a choice now what we do with um, the legacy that they gave us. And maybe it was a bad legacy. You know, I, I always think back to, to David as he was being hunted by his father-in-law, Saul, and Saul made him a, a fugitive. And But he refused to dishonor Saul, not only because he was the king and God had chosen him for that kingly position, but also because he was his father-in-law. And he called out to him one time when, he, uh, uh, when they were in the wilderness, and he called, called across the, the valley to him, my father, my father. Even when the man had tried to murder him and was hunting him like he was a criminal, but he, his heart was, I just want to be a son to you. I just want you to be my father again, my father, my father. And even when he had the opportunity to end his life as a fugitive by killing Saul, which all of his men were encouraging him to do, and at that time and place nobody would have held him accountable for that, he could have taken the throne instantly. But he didn't do that because he said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. 
And our fathers and mothers, even though they probably made lots of mistakes, as we all do as parents, <laughs> they are God's anointed over you and me because they brought us into this world. And uh, there's many ways that we can honor someone even who has been abusive to us and keep ourselves out of harm's way, but still honor them. And I heard somebody say one time, and I just shook my head when this person said this, and I said, well, and then this person said, well, I will honor him, and I love him, but I just don't ever want to see him or talk to him again. <laughs> I'm like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. But that's that's the twisted theology, the twisted ideology that people have in their minds when they, because they want to justify being angry. They want to justify harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'm telling you, that will get you nowhere fast. If you want a life of emotional turmoil, just hold on to all that bitterness and all that unforgiveness, and your life will be an emotional wreck. And uh, that's what I've seen happen with people that hold on to this stuff, that they, their lives are in an emotional tailspin that they cannot get out of. But if they would just make that change, just choose to forgive and choose to honor their father and mother, even though their father and mother may have made many, many bad choices, um, if they will choose to do that, uh, it's amazing what God can and will do, because God is not a man that he should lie. He always keeps his promises. Honor your father and mother that all may go well with you and that your life may be long upon the earth. That's beautiful. And I love the analogy of David and Saul because in that story, we don't see David um, when Saul's trying to kill him and all that. We don't see David sitting at the dinner table with Saul every night. I mean, he did as long as he could, but we still see that desire in his heart to do so. And that's really the distinguishing difference is what's happening inside of you when nobody's looking, when that person's not there, and you can really clearly tell if you've totally forgiven and if there is love. Okay, so let's go ahead on. There's uh, something that's a vital missing key in moving up in life. No, no, that's one we just did. We're going to do the next one, the thing that always profits you in the end. These are almost, they sounded a lot the same to me in the notes, and uh, I am curious what this one is too. Yeah, well, the thing that's different about this one uh, compared to the previous one is that uh, this next one won't always show immediate benefits. And mm-hmm. that's uh, actually the way it is with a lot of God's principles. You know, I tell my church and I tell my kids that, you know, God's ways are very different than the world's ways because the world's ways promise you instant gratification, but there's a hook in the bait and there's usually always a very bad payday uh, down, <laughs> down the road. God's ways is exactly the opposite. You do the right thing in the beginning, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not what you want to do, and eventually there's a sowing and reaping process that works to your benefit, and you'll, you'll have a good payday on the end. And the, the principle here that always profits you in the end, it may not be evident, you know, up front, even the first few years that you practice this principle, but it's integrity. And I always think about Billy Graham when I think about this, because, you know, Billy Graham's ministry that spanned all those decades, you know, and he went to be with the Lord just recently, as we all know, and he, um, he was honored as a man of great integrity. Um, you know, there was never any scandal in his ministry like so many other ministers have you know, succumbed to. Why is that? Well, because he decided early on in his ministry that he was going to have certain um, standards in place, and this is what he agreed upon with his board and his board of advisors and his team, and they wrote down a list of things that were non-negotiables in their ministry, and they would not cross these lines. And many of them had to do with uh, moral principles, with uh, how money is handled, uh, how they talk about other ministers, I mean, on and on. So there were several different things there that I actually list them in my book. Um, But Billy Graham went down in history as a man that was never marred by scandal and a man of great integrity and great character and great impact to the world because of his level of integrity. Um, Again, that, that didn't always pay dividends in the beginning, and it won't for your listeners either. I mean, if you choose to do the right thing, sometimes, as in the case of Joseph in the Bible, Um, Doing the right thing will get you thrown into into the dungeon, but it profited him in the end, didn't it? So Mm -hmm. there was a a sowing and reaping process that benefited him uh, eventually. So even though integrity and honesty 
uh, doesn't always look all that good in the beginning. And, and at the time when you're at that crossroads, when you're ready to make a decision one way or the other, um, when you do the right thing, even though it may cost you up front, and sometimes integrity will, sometimes integrity will cost you up front, but it will always pay dividends in the end. And Joseph's life in the Bible is an example of that, and so was the life of Billy Graham. Absolutely, absolutely. And we talked earlier about how to get along with almost anyone. Next, we're going to talk about how to make people instantly like you. Yeah. Well, um, this was a fun one because um, here again, talking about sowing and reaping and the paradox of how God's kingdom works. This is an example of of that. Um, So let me use a a personal story here to illustrate uh, this. Well, one time I I stopped into a barber shop that I'd never been to before, and as I was in the barber's chair, um, this uh, particular barber was pretty talkative, uh, and I'm not always that talkative. I'm not a you know a naturally outgoing person, but I've kind of forced myself to be that. But one of the things I do do well, even though I'm not you know the life of the party kind of person that you know is always you know talking people's arm off, what I do do well is I listen. And so this guy began to talk, and and uh, I just listened, and I began to then very important principle right here: ask questions. And uh, this person got talking about his son. And I just began to, you know, draw him out a little bit and just ask him about his family and that sort of thing. Well, the, the conversation got upon his son, and apparently there was, you know, some relational problems there. And all of a sudden he just started opening up, and it was like a dam broke. And he just started confiding in me and asking my advice. He didn't know me from Adam, and he just started asking my advice on this relationship problem with his son. And then he stopped and he kind of realized what was happening, and he, he said, oh, wow, it's like you're my therapist or something. <laughs> and that's kind of what it ended up being. As I as I asked questions about him and showed interest in him, it caused him to open up to me. And then he began confiding in me, even though he really didn't even know me. Uh, but he instantly liked me, not because of some accomplishment on my part or be- because of my looks or anything like that, or even my personality for that matter, or even my conversation skills. He liked me because I showed interest in him. And when you show interest in other people, they will automatically be drawn to you. And if you're like me and you're a little bit I'm, – I'm not a super outgoing person. I know that you know I don't have problems talking when I'm preaching or doing an interview like this, but I'm not a, just a naturally talkative person. So, um, but if you can get the other person talking – even though throughout the course of the conversation you may not have said three or four words, but you let them talk and you ask questions about them and you showed interest, they'll walk away from that conversation saying, wow, I really enjoyed talking to that person. What a wonderful conversationalist he or she is. But you may not have said five words except just asking them a few questions, but because they got to talk about themselves to a person who really showed genuine interest, that is like therapy to people because not many people get that these days. Yeah, for sure. The last two things we've been talking about make me think of humility. So this one, uh, listening, you know, you just can't always be talking about yourself all the time. And the one before it, integrity, which oftentimes takes a little bit of humbleness in order to actually be honest and say the truth of what you did or didn't do or uh, just to take those responsibilities, that the humility piece just comes in here so so strongly too, and it's so important for us to remember that. We're going to take a real short break and come back and talk about um, how to get promoted, like Daniel, how to direct your passion, and the secret to success that's often overlooked. We'll be right back. Minutes with Marty is my per minute coaching service. Whenever you feel stuck have an idea you want to run by me, need to pick my brain, or would like me to edit your one-page or media pitch, just schedule a 15 to 60-minute session using the Easy Calendar tool at Marnie.com. I'm so grateful that you're here with us today, and I hope to connect with you one-on-one soon. Visit Marnie.com, that's M-A-R-N-I-E.com, to schedule your coaching session right now. Hey, welcome back. This is Marty visiting today with Andy Robbins of andrewrobbinsministries.org. That's two B's in the middle of Robbins, andrewrobbinsministries.org. Andy, let's talk next 
about how to get promoted like Daniel. But I, you know what I think we all want? I think we want to be promoted like Daniel, but we don't want to have to do what he did to get there. <laughs> yeah, that's well said. Uh, you know, a couple principles there about uh, getting promoted like Daniel. Uh, number one is a spirit of excellence. You know, if you look at Daniel's life, he was a person of impeccable excellence. We could also say that of Joseph. Um, so, you know, I would just encourage your listeners just to go read up on Daniel, read about his life. Uh, he was a person that had impeccable integrity, but also was excellent in everything that he did. And because he was so accomplished and he did things so impeccably well, that's what got him promoted. Because even though he was in a foreign land, he was, uh, you know, taken into exile um, uh, you know, away from Israel, and you know, he didn't know anybody there. He was just a young man. Uh, you know, he had no one to answer to really, except these pagan people. You know, he could have chosen a different path, but he chose to honor God even under those pagan rulers, and chose to show himself excellent for the glory of God, uh, even in that pagan land. And you know what? He got promoted. Uh, over all the satraps, all the rulers and governors of that land, uh, because of his impeccable integrity and his commitment to excellence. And there's so many people, again, that just want to cut corners. They want to do the least amount to get by and, and still try to get by. And it just doesn't really work that way most of the time. You've, you've got to press in there and uh, sharpen the saw and uh, be as excellent as you can be on whatever, in, with whatever your hands find to do. Uh, so, you know, that's the, the primary principle there of being promoted. But, you know, here again, you know, this whole um, concept of being promoted is a process because that didn't happen overnight. You know, when uh, Daniel went into to Babylon, he had to prove himself, show himself faithful over a period of time. So, see, his metal, if you will, was being tested throughout that process. So he was sowing now to reap later, and so it, it was a test. It, 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 was he going to persevere? And so the, how, to, how to be promoted really boils down to this, doing the right thing, uh, showing yourself a person of excellence and high character, high moral integrity for a long period of time. And even when things don't look like they're going your way, are you still going to choose to do the right thing and choose to be excellent? And see, that's the test of our character right there is can we gut it out when it looks like things are not going our way? You know, Joseph, as I talked about before, he certainly had the opportunity as he was wasting away there in prison to curse God and say, I've served you all this time. I've done things impeccably well all this time, and where did it get me? It got me in the dungeon. He certainly had an opportunity to do that, but he didn't. And in one day, in one fateful, glorious day, he was promoted from the dungeon to the second in command over all of the land of Egypt because he just would not give up on God. He would not give up his faith. He would not give up being excellent because he was excellent even there in the dungeon, even there in prison, so much so that the, the prison guard turned all the responsibilities, everything over to him because he did everything so well. He took such great responsibility over things that uh, even in the dungeon he showed himself faithful. He showed himself a man of excellence. So Joseph and Daniel are two of my favorite figures in the Bible because yeah. they showed themselves to be such men of great integrity, great character, and men of impeccable excellence. And if, you're, if your listeners will strive to be excellent in everything they do, they'll be promoted in time. Yeah, I love it. I, me too. These two guys are just among my favorite Bible characters. And, you know, they were tested early. They were tested late. They had seasons of silence in the middle where they didn't know, you know, what, what they were doing there, what God's doing in their lives. And yet God was always present with them and always watching out for them and did uh, raise them up to the top levels of um, authority, really, and power in their seasons of life. And the, the, the amazing thing about both of these guys is that they actually came to power by God's grace under their enemy, uh, under their enemy government, which is just so breathtaking to think mm -hmm. that God can God can make us prosperous no matter where we are. It doesn't Great matter. Point. 
you know, it is just, uh, he's the one that's making us prosperous and it's all for his glory. Okay. So um, how do, how do we direct our passion? So we've got this idea, we've got this thing we're going, uh, or maybe we don't have a direction yet, but we're really energetic and wanting to get going. How do we direct passion? Yeah, you know, this is a principle that I wish we learned in school, um, that they ought to teach in school. They just teach us facts and figures in school, but they don't really teach us what to do with it or what, what correct attitudes to have. And, you know, the subtitle of my book, um, the How to Be Good at Life book, the new one, the subtitle is A Treasure Chest of Golden Nuggets for a Happier and More Productive Life that they don't teach in school. <laughs> so uh-huh. these are principles that we aren't taught in school. I mean, after you get all the learning in, well, what do you do with it now? I mean, how, how do you, you know, make that work for you? Um, well, this, uh, this principle here is one of many that I talk about in my book and how to be good at life, how to be successful. And success isn't just money, by the way. It's you know, an emotional state. It's success in your family. And, you know, before I get into answering your question more specifically, uh, I just want to say this before I do that. I had somebody give me one of the best compliments I ever received one time. And he said, Andy, you're the richest person that I know. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't yeah. have to do with the amount of money that you make. Right. He said, in your family, there is peace. And peace is priceless. Oh, and he should it. know because his family life was a wreck. And, uh, you know, that was one of the best compliments I ever received because uh, it, it brought glory to God in my life that God is – is a keeper of his promises. And if we do things his way, he will keep his promises and he will do as John 10.10 says, where Jesus said, the thief, the enemy, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, he said, that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And praise God by his grace, my life is a testimony of that. But to your question, how, how to direct your passion. Okay, well, this is uh, pretty easy. Find ways to serve mankind in the area where you have interest or with something that you're good at. So analyze what you're good at, analyze what God has given you a passion for, and then find ways to serve mankind with that. So mm-hmm. let's say, for example, uh, you have an interest in sports, so, and, and maybe you're not to the level where you're able to make it as a professional pitcher or a professional basketball player or, or a quarterback in the NFL or whatever. So you can't make a living at it, but you still have a great interest in that, and you have a, a certain degree of skill in that, well, great. Find ways to serve mankind with that, like maybe coaching a little league team or is something where you can sow into someone's life. You know, there's a lot of great coaches out there that are, are pretty good athletes, not great, but pretty good, but they can sow into kids' lives. And there's a lot of Christian men and women who are serving as coaches, who are able to speak into kids' lives where uh, you know, their faith is concerned and, and addressing challenges and issues in those kids' lives, and it gives them a platform by which to really help people. So directing your passion is one very important principle of being good at life because as you sow, now you will also reap. So uh, just analyze what you're good at and follow that, and sometimes what you're good at will make you money, as a matter of fact, a lot of times, most of the time perhaps it will because whatever profession or vocation that uh, people uh, are working in, a lot of times they're, they're there because they're good at something that they, that they do in their job. So, um, so you know, don't rule that out. I mean, God will expand you and, and you know, lead you into things that you never thought of before, just like with Moses. Um, you know, Moses never thought he would be leading, you know, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? But God called him to that because he was, he was open to new things. But do analyze what you are good at and see if there's a way that you can serve God with that and serve mankind, serve the church, etc. And as you do that, as you sow, you will reap. Life is all about sowing and reaping. So as you sow, you will reap. But if you hold back because, oh, I'm not that good at that, or, oh, I don't have time for that, or that's too much trouble, well, okay, well, stay right where you are then. I mean, God's not obligated to bless you. If you don't use what he has given you and put into your hands for his glory, you know, God has made an investment in your listeners and you and me, Marty. Uh, He's made investment in us. And God is like any other investor. He wants a return off that investment. So, Marty, as he's made an investment in you and the, the, the passions, the abilities, and the interests that you have, well, you're, you're giving him a return on that investment even as we do this radio show. 
and I believe he's pleased with that. Your listeners, likewise, he's made he's made various investments, Marnie, in many of your listeners, and he wants to return off those investments. And all it takes is just to analyze what you're good at, what you're interested in, and find a way to sow that into someone's life, even if it's only one person, sow it into your church, sow it into society somehow. And then God will build on that from there, but you have to take the first step. Uh, you know, James 4, uh, James 4, 8 says, draw near to me, says the Lord, and I will draw near to you. So if you take the first step and just begin investing even in one person, he will begin to build on that. Mm, love it. That's so great. We're nearing the end of the hour, and I want to get this last one in. The secret to success that is often overlooked, what is it? Okay. Okay. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a dirty word that, no pe- that few people want to hear, and that word is this, failure. One secret of success, believe it or not, is failure. <laughs> and I know that's almost counterintuitive, but, you know, there's uh, very few people who have reached the pinnacle of success who got there without failing a bunch. But they didn't give up, you see, and they use those failures as stepping stones, as learning opportunities, and as they failed, they, they, they learned things, they honed things, and uh, they began to um, um, you know, come up as, uh, as they just picked themselves back up, dusted themselves back off, and went for it again. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, someone by the name of Chris Hardwick, and I'll read this real quick because I know we're running out of time, but uh, he says this, No human ever became interesting by not failing. The more you fail and recover and improve, the better you are as a person. Ever meet someone who's always had everything work out for them with zero struggle? They usually have the depth of a puddle, or they don't (laughs) exist. (laughs) And I think that's such a great quote. And, uh, you know, I could give you, uh, in fact, in my book, I I provide several quotes in that chapter on failure of uh, people like Napoleon Hill and Winston Churchill and Lance Armstrong and on and on, of people who use failure as stepping stones to their success. If you give up after one or two failures, then ultimately you are a failure. But you are not a failure if you refuse to give up and just keep going for it. You know, Proverbs 24:16 says the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So a lot of times people are overthrown by one disaster, by one failure, by one disappointment. That's enough to overthrow them because they give up. But the godly may trip repeatedly. They may fall repeatedly, but they just keep giving uh, – they just won't give up. They just keep getting up. They will not give up. And if I could share this really quick story very fast here. You know, um, in 1976, there was a blockbuster movie that came out by the name of Rocky. (laughs) And uh, I'll never forget one of the scenes at the very end of that movie when Rocky was fighting Apollo Creed and he was being beaten to a pulp. And and both men looked like they'd been through a war. And at, at the very end of the fight, Apollo Creed knocked Rocky down and it looked like it was over and he was done. And Apollo Creed had raised his arms in a victory uh, uh, position, in a, in a victory posture, pose there, and he thought it was done. And then he heard the crowd roar, and he turned back around, and he looked to see what he hoped he would not see, and that is Rocky standing on his feet yet again and gesturing, come get me. Yeah. And I'll never forget the expression of Apollo Creed, he kind of slumped over and lowered his head like, oh, my gosh, not again. What is it going to take to get this guy out? And I think that's the way the enemy of our souls so often responds to someone who just will not give up. They take this Ah. kick to the gut. They take that blow to the head. They get knocked down repeatedly, but they just keep getting up. And the enemy of our souls, like Apollo Creed, is like, oh, Oh, my gosh, what's it going to take to get him out of the game? And if you just have a never-give-up mentality, God can do something with you. I don't care what your skill level is, is like, even if you don't feel like you've got a lot to offer. If you just will not give up when things look bad, God can do something with somebody, somebody like you. Oh, fantastic. And with that, we are out of time. Andy, thank you so much for being here today. 
It's my pleasure. And thank you guys for being here today. I hope you go over and check out Andy's website at andrewrobbinsministries.org and check out his new book. It's all good, and it goes so much deeper than he could possibly go here with us this afternoon, so be sure to check that out. His website again, andrewrobbinsministries.org. This is Marnie Swedberg. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week. We'll see you next time on Marnie's Friends. Bye-bye.